Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by CFM. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Francesco Criccio and Matteo Campaloni of Brain, the provider of alternative data signals. After successful careers in physics research, Francesco and Matteo decided to join forces to create products to help investors in the markets. If you have a data set that might be of interest for the podcast, please get in touch. So in this episode, I'm joined by Francesco Criccio and Matteo Campelone of Brain Company. Um, welcome. Great to have you both. Um, so Francesco and Matteo, you are based, I think, well, why don't I start by addressing a question to Francesco just to make it, uh, to make it clear. But you guys are based in, uh, in Milan, aren't you? Um, I, um, I keep coming across alternative data in Italy at the moment. Do you, what, how would you, how would you describe the alternative data scene in, in Italy right now? Uh, I think right now the scene is quite focused on uh, specific topics. Like, uh, for example, we see some alternative data providers that are focused on fashion, fashion, uh, uh, scrape, scraping prices of uh, like fashion products. So in general, I'll say that the scene is quite vertical. Quite vertical. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Uh, very focused on uh, specific topics that, uh, for example, could be like uh, uh, relevant to country, the country business. For example, here in Milan, we recently spoke with the company uh, I think it was uh, also on the podcast that is active in uh, scraping uh, prices of uh, luxury goods. Yes. Yeah, databoutique.com, exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. So there is that. Um, maybe maybe it's because I always think of Italy um, from a kind of manufacturing perspective as being um, historically, it's the artisanship, isn't it? It's really highly quality specialist knowledge of and making of a good like in Cremona they make incredible violins don't they it's 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 being the best in the world at making a a wonderful piece of piece of uh, piece of kit i wonder if uh, i wonder if the same thing is happening in italy that that they're developing these these kind of these niche specialities and, and we're getting artisans of data do you think there's something there go on Matteo. Yeah, i mean you're you're hinting at excellences that are like uh, very old and very important mm. excellences in italy so i don't know if that can really hold for alternative data. What I'm saying is, uh, yes, Francesco was pointing out some specific um, specific uh, companies that, that we met in the past. Uh, I didn't. I, I don't know. If, I'm not really able to generalize for Italy. I would say that um, in terms of companies that provide alternative data like ourselves, I couldn't find a similar one in Italy. But I didn't look for too much for it because we really see this uh, is a kind of global market and. Uh, and then the final buyers are uh, everywhere and not and actually more maybe obscure to the US world or your or your UK world. So I didn't actually look into that. 
Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. No, that's that's uh, and and I was being whimsical, perhaps about uh, about yeah. the historical, yeah. the medieval uh, artisanship of of Italy. So let us get on to Brain and Company. Um, sorry, Brain Company. Um, why don't you, uh, Francesco? Why don't you introduce um, what is Brain? What does what does Brain Company do? Yes, uh, Brain is a research company that is leveraging some um, technologies like artificial intelligence and natural language processing uh, to create alternative data for investors. Um, we are specialized in analyzing uh, no structure sources, could be news, could be earnings call, could be company filings, in order to, to find uh, a structured uh, structure order and to create a structured data set that can, can be used typically by, by quant funds. Um, but we also offer some consultancy services uh, to, to provide a customized service to the clients uh, to, to, to help them to use our data set for, uh, to, find, uh, to, to create an investment strategy. So not all our clients, uh, they have an expertise. Uh, to, they, they don't know already how to use the data. So we also support them in finding alpha and in the application of our technology to, to, to find alpha. Fantastic. Okay. So um, why don't we, why don't we um, set the scene a little bit more? Um, I think you are both very impressive in, uh, in your different ways. Both of you are co-founders of Brain, I believe, and both of you have got very strong credentials preceding Brain. So, so I think we should we should definitely dwell on them a little bit. But Matteo, why don't you introduce a little bit um, what how Brain came about? Perhaps some of your background, um, and then if you want to talk about Francesco's background, or if Francesco would be better doing that, um, why, why don't we set the scene a little bit? Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, I'm a um... I'm a physicist by uh, currently I've been after uh, working in research in physics for some years and I've been, I moved to finance and I've been working in various areas of finance and uh, for several years and six years ago I would say I met Francesco for business reasons so he was basically introduced me introducing to me uh, some business plans of a possible uh, venture. Matteo, I'm sorry, Matteo, okay. I'm going to stop you because um, yeah. you've missed out an important part, which is you were, were you part of a team which won a Nobel Prize as a, as a physicist? Oh. <laughs> okay, no, not, not, uh, not, uh, not so strongly. I would say I've been working in the area of complex systems, which is the area for which in last year has been awarded um, the Nobel Prize. In particular, the Nobel Prize has been awarded to uh, two um, physicists to work for models on climate and to Giorgio Parisi, who is an extraordinary Italian physicist uh, for his work on uh, uh, complex system, in particular disordered systems. So I have had, uh, I was lucky enough to be working, to have been working with Giorgio Parisi when I was uh, doing my research in physics, but uh, no, uh, that was several years ago, but still it's, uh, it was, it left me an incredible uh, experience and I'm very happy that that happened. Got it. And when, uh, and when, no, 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 that's, that's great. Um, and when, so complex systems wise, and, and you're saying that um, the Nobel prize was for complex systems uh, work around climate. 
do you see um has your complex systems physics work been useful for understanding financial markets and and um and being focused towards towards finance in that way do you see similarities but uh, how much how much crossover is there from your physics work into your current work financial markets and generally speaking statistical models have uh, got many uh, much in common meaning you can use a lot of statistical models, in particular uh, stochastic models, so models of where there is a, a dynamics there is, and there is a disorder embedded into your model. And as you can imagine, there is an enormous history and literature of um, scientists, of people making models of, for trying to understanding even before and predicting financial markets. Okay, So, of course, there is an attitude in, in my experience uh, and in myself and my experience in creating more mathematical models and understanding uh, models. So that's why I like, and I, and I thought it was going to be very interesting to build a company that was research oriented, such as Brain, where we, um, where we built models uh, for predicting or understanding at least the behavior of financial markets. Does disorder mean chaos? Not necessarily. I mean, disorder is, uh, uh, means that, uh, but, uh, again, on f- for financial markets, I would call it randomness rather. Uh, so in statistics, when we talk about disordered system in uh, in statistical physics, that's I mean, I, it probably is going to be out of the topic of this uh, podcast. But is a um, when I was now I would like to concentrate on randomness. So in every sort of modeling of financial markets, there is uncertainty, and this kind of uncertainty is uh, typically modeled or understood by things that you consider random somehow uh, sometimes independent sometimes correlated with it, with each other and so you when you build the mathematical models to understand markets and here i'm stating something which is very obvious i'm not saying anything special uh, you have to you build models where there is a sort of external noise or something that you have to assume it it's uncertain it's random okay so uh uh, this is how I would frame it, very, very, very generally speaking. Uh, so, um, what uh, then you can do it? You can use statistical models to try to understand financial markets in in, in in a large amount of ways. I would say now there has been in the last years a a, a big hype on uh, artificial intelligence, which is one way to approach. I would say uh, the models uh, to to understand how the markets are behaving or to try to predict or to learn something from the markets um, but not necessarily that's the only way uh, but this is certainly something which we do at brain so we use uh, um, some some part of our models some of our models use uh, artificial intelligence techniques to try to uh, to understand something about the markets got it okay francesco what was your background before so I'm, I'm also a physicist, uh, so I did my PhD in Sweden, uh, where I was specialized in uh, basically predicting the materials properties, starting from the atomic structure. So, I mean, if you give me like a bunch of atoms, like uh, I, I was going to do a lot of simulation, trying to predict what was going to be the properties of the material uh, composed of those atoms. That's very convenient because you can... Uh, do a lot of simulation. Maybe you can predict the next magnetic, very magnet, magnetic material without doing an experiment. So I'm, my specialization is in solving equations using simulation. 
they were, those were very complex equations that are basically unsolvable. Uh, but by using some tricks, you can get some means and you can get some very useful approximation for these type of problems. And that's uh, how I started to specialize in, in solving very, computation, very hard computational problems. And definitely machine learning and artificial intelligence applied to finance is one of those. Okay, fantastic. Um, and so you meet, you're both got obviously very, um, very uh, high powered physics careers in research. Um, you meet six years ago. How does, how does Brain come about? We started just very quickly uh, developing one model. Just as an ex we, we, got, we got in touch with each other, I said, for other reasons, but then we started discussing and it was, we were both interested in, sign, in trying to um, build a model. I don't, I don't know how the conversation went there. And then it was a little bit of like, a little bit for fun at the beginning, but then we saw it was interesting to work together. There was a very good feeling say, in terms of how the ideas and, were developed. And uh, so it basically started with one model, which is actually one of our uh, current signals that we are uh, on the market is our first risk-on, risk-off signals based on the study of uh, uh, volatility. Um, and then after that, we, we decided we wanted to continue to give it a sort of more structured form to our, our, our work and our ideas. So we decided to found a company. So if it was so if it's on the market and it's and it was your initial um, idea, let's dig into it a little bit. So a risk on risk off strategy based on volatility would say you would have a um, it would so it would have a measure of when volatility is high in the market and it would be the best way to um, get risk off in that situation. And and um, and and how, so how so yeah. what did that look like? Okay, okay. I will try to speak in, in general terms and then I will add some, uh, some disclaimers maybe. I don't know how you call them. But anyway, we, it's a, we tried to understand if we could, uh, from the, the analysis of the the, how the volatility of the markets evolves during time, uh, try to, un to understand if there, was, uh, there were moments where it was not worthwhile taking some risks and when the other moments are the periods where it was worthwhile so basically the idea is to try to get out of the market in uh, when the volatility spikes there are uh, historically you can see that there are periods of uh, where the volatility really has large and uh, large spikes it's difficult to predict them we try to build a model that um kind of uh, without getting into, into details but it, mm. it try, tries to understand if it is more it starts to be quickly more than what the market has been used to uh, and then it's, we have to say, okay, but this has got some meaning for the future. So it tries to be a predictive model. Now, generally speaking, uh, this kind of models in finance uh, are, um, I mean, it's very difficult in finance to prove anything. I mean, that's my personal point of view, uh, especially when you want to build a model that um, tries to tell you what to do in the future. Uh, but of course, there are, so you, you can show that it's been working, it has worked in the past then you know world, world is changing and it's um, then you have only one history of the past so it's as opposed to physics in finance any model that you can show you can re you can show it on your past history but it's very difficult to repeat the experiment like that's which is something necessary in all other uh, sciences so you have that history and then, then you can say 
So is it a is it a little bit is it a little bit like predicting an earthquake by seeing the the you know the seismometer goes a little bit more first before before going for a big a big earthquake coming? Would it be like that only yeah, clearly not as simple? That, that's good. Yeah, I mean the, the earthquake the earthquakes. Uh, I'm not an expert uh, expert on that part, but Syria there is a very they're very difficult. It's difficult to predict them because of what you said because they're like. They have got spikes, big spikes. So I'm not an expert of the, okay. the state of the art of that theory now. But certainly, what we are trying to say is let's get sales of the market when there are stronger than usual spikes. And uh, when, so when we have to define risk off moments. Uh, and that was uh, one, uh, one model which we started to play around with uh, when, when, we, when we started. Yeah. Okay, so you thought, and so you were making making magic together. Um, you got together uh, for this. So you were both in your field. You both had an interest in finance, and you got your heads together. And clearly, something was working. So you thought we can create a company out of this. But was the initial there was the initial idea um, to create these these types of models that you're talking about? Um, is is does does the data come in at some point? Yes, I mean, I, I, let's, let me just say this and then I'll hand it over to Francesco. Uh, but we started with the idea of creating really models for investment strategies and creating in, in somehow some sort of packaged investment strategies, if one case you can say so. So um, then we're using various inputs. Some of them were going to be alternative inputs, like we started collecting news, for example, or other corporate documents and so on. So. But the idea was really to create strategies for financial markets. Now, I would say with the evolution of brain, we are honing down towards being a, a, an alternative data set provider. So what we do is we create uh, data sets that are structured data sets, starting from unstructured sources, typically news, even uh, um, other corporate documents, or also some of our models. Uh, that rank stocks can be considered alternative because they're using a proprietary algorithms to rank stocks, even based on traditional signals like uh, fundamentals or market data. But anyway, anyway, we are focused on the end part, so the creation of uh, alternative data sets. And then it's the end user that um, decides how to use that uh, data set in addition to their strategies. Of course, given our background and our history, we, as Francesco was mentioning before, we provide also, we help the client if it's needed to, uh, how to use these uh, data sets and to validate those data sets. Because as I said before, validation in finance is kind of very tricky and uh, it's, it's a delicate subject. So you start off by by thinking of, of of coming up with with models for the market, and you've moved into moved into creating data partly because your previous models have kind of thrown off data, have turned into data. They've they've kind of it's it's become a kind of it's become a middle, like a mix in a way, a hybrid. Exactly. I mean, exactly. In the end, the model can be packaged as a as a data set itself when it's a ranking when there is a. Or and, and then generally speaking, one we can, I would say we can divide our data sets into two big areas. Um, no, not regarding what kind of uh, sources we use or whatever, but we can have like descriptive data sets and predictive data sets. So the, in the descriptive data sets, we try really to give you a picture of, of the 
of something that we are trying, and then you you end user might want to use it in some way. For instance, uh, that's, that would be the case for the sentiment of stocks. So we have an algorithm, a property algorithm, so for calculating the sentiment on stocks based on public news, and uh, we cover uh, ten thousand global stocks approximately. And uh, and so we end up with a list of sentiment, which is a daily file basically, and then the use, and that would be, would be we describe how is the news flow going for each single stock, okay? Then you might, uh, you might want to say, to decide what kind of strategy you want to, to use that for. Um, you might think uh, if it's a positive sentiment, then I want to invest, uh, or, or if it's a positive sentiment with uh, an incremental uh, uh, number of news, then it's interesting or totally another approach. Even depend this depends also on your time horizon. And then there are predictive data sets where we try to teach a model to to have a uh, to to say this uh, these companies are going to do better than these other ones. Okay, so uh, then and that and there the ranking would mean that the end user has at least a prediction of a model. Then again, he can decide whether how how much he want to use it. He wants to use it or not. But then the model is actually trained to try to predict the market. It sounds to me like the two of you at some point over the last six years, perhaps six years ago, or maybe maybe five or four years ago, potentially hit a crossroads where you could either go one way and create a hedge fund and 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 uh, use these strategies yourselves and and kind of and go for it, go down that path, or go down the path that you chose, which is um, create strategies and, and, and data for, for others. Do, are you, was there a point where you discussed it? Was there a point where, where you kind of reached that decision? Um, and, and well, if so, how did, you, how did you choose the path you chose? Yeah, sure. Um, yes, we, we discussed this a lot. Uh, there was a, there is a problem uh, of regulation. So it's not so easy, at least in Italy, or in general in Europe, to, to open an edge fund. Uh, so we, in general, we prefer to be a technology company that is providing the service to, to the edge funds, so not to be edge fund ourselves, because we, we decide that's a different business problem, where to find the clients that invest money in the fund. It's a completely different problem, in, in my view. Yeah, I may add, I mean, even proper, yeah, sorry, Mark. I just want to add, even for, for really the, the purpose we, we created Brain was we wanted to create a research-oriented company because we also we enjoy doing that. And that is also the way why we didn't actually look for capital and so on. We want to stay focused on research and, and lean. Uh, building a hedge funds would be, as Francesco was saying, we have to, the first thing is go and look for masses to you know, under management and think about sort of other things which... Are, are a different different business there are benefits of scale in in a hedge fund which um you would have to reach before you could start uh start wielding them so so yeah no and and if you're selling it as a service then you're then you're selling it to the to the already large funds potentially so that so that makes sense in a way um Sounds good. So, um, Matei, you've just touched on the uh, two kind of types of data which 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 are available: the descriptive and the predictive. Are there any other ways that we could kind of get our get our arms around um, all the like the, the way we could kind of lay out what is on offer from Brain in terms of um, do you have various buckets? Could you say 
what percentage of your data data sets are um, predictive, what percent are descriptive? Are there are there ways that we can um, you know add some more color to exactly what a potential investor coming to Brain might be able to get hold of? Yeah, I mean the line between descriptive and predictive is just a way of seeing it. Then it uh, really uh, it amounts to showing that there is a use case. Uh, uh, I would say another way of of, class, of of dividing them would be based on the technology that you use. How much is machine learning based? How much is uh, uh, it's uh, and maybe natural language processing based? Maybe a composition of the two, or you could uh, um, okay. I would say some of them are now we are working a lot on docu- on on data sets which uh, uh, kind of uh, create some measurements on um, on corporate documentation so we lar- we read a large number of documents like company uh, for example uh, US 10k's on fake news we are now working on a project to capture other corporate documentations and we try to measure things on those documents like uh, so one data set, uh, so based on those, on reading many of those documents, we can measure how positive the language is. We can measure a sentiment. We can measure what is the difference in uh, how much controversial language, litigious language there is on a, on a document with respect to another one. And so all this sort of language metrics on the corporate information is a topic where we are going, uh, we, we, are, we are going to at the moment. If I'm a, um, if I'm an investor, if I'm a potential customer, what is my experience coming to brain what do i what what's kind of on offer is there is there you know a so so yeah how do, how does it work a an investor comes to comes to you and says i'd like to know i'd like to understand your data a little bit i'd like to to see what you've got um do you do they just get full access to every all the research that you're working on and and they kind of then can take it and and they can kind of sift through and find what they're interested in and what works for them is or is there a more consultative you've you've touched on perhaps helping people to understand the data so is it more that you need to kind of walk them through in a more in a more proactive way and perhaps almost almost work for them a little bit in order to um to 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 show them how and and it's all all is an ongoing basis How, how is that how is how does that relationship go some clients uh probably they want belonging to to larger funds Typically, they, they just want to access the data. So they, they want to have information about the technology, how the data are calculated. But at the end of the day, they just they want to access the data. Probably they will integrate those in their platform and they will ass- assess their value using their own criteria that, uh, that they are proprietary. Some other clients probably typically belonging to smaller funds with a, with a less uh, with a less large uh, research group they want to see the data to understand the technology they're very focused on the use case maybe they already want to see some working cases if you do this with the company filings you you'll get this or maybe they already want to access our predictive platform uh, that will combine the data and doing some prediction for them so, uh, so they will uh, just interested in a single column that is the prediction of our platform and not so much in the raw data going into it. So the, I, I see this general distinction in two groups. Mm. Do you yeah. find, um, so potentially a, a hedge fund who is, um, you know, who is committed to using alternative data to, to make money in the market, um, 
they can they can uh, try and pick up the rawest data, um, and they can try and scrape it themselves, or they can they can go and buy raw data from somewhere or or, or whatever. Um, and then they are faced with the challenge of you know um, cleaning it, and then building some strategies to to um, using it, and etc. All the all the all the things that one has to do. Would you say that um, what you provide is kind of an intermediate good in a way it's not generally it's not they're not coming to you necessarily for the raw data they're coming for you with as if somebody at their hedge fund perhaps has already has already done some work on it or or perhaps has done some work on it that someone at their hedge fund wouldn't think of doing but it's your they're your it's it's kind of a they're coming to you for ideas maybe and they're coming to you for um the types of strategies that maybe they would otherwise get from their own analysts and and so it's a kind of is it maybe an external ideas bank um uh, partly as well as as well as buying data they're kind of buying your brains um maybe that would be um typically is i would say that they come ask for the data set then after on the data set not before they would they would make some work on that so we provide uh, let's let me talk first about the, the, the large funds that have got a lot of quantitative manpower of people working for them and a lot mm. of experience they have a clear, pretty clear idea on what they want to see in order to decide whether they are interested on in the data set or not uh and in those kind of things they have they kind of uh, and i understand this it is uh, we, sometimes we are uh, we provide some use case or they ask for some use case but then it's their own internal process which is not too too much which, which is not transparent to us because they i don't yeah. think they want they don't want to give anything out on how they do things and also don't i don't think that they want to bias us in in knowing how they're going to validate so it's kind of a we provide the data set, they validate it, they say, I like it, it adds something to my strategy, it doesn't. Uh, in other cases, uh, it, it's the opposite way. So it's more on if you have those data, and that's as Francesco was mentioning, it's typically for uh, people who are like adopting, deciding whether or not to adopt uh, these uh, new sources of information in their, in their strategies. It's more a kind of interaction between us and them to say, okay, if you use this in this way, uh, that would be uh, that strategy would be changed in this way, and maybe that's better or not. So it's sort of a more consulting and uh, approach, trying to, to a, a, see how that the um, data set would be beneficial for a potential uh, client. But okay. we're concerned, that, and the first buyers, I would say, are the ones that are setting the industry now. I mean, that's uh, the. the the ones who are like uh, they know what they want and they are buying most i think it's the first buyers okay um and so speaking a little bit more about about the data um you've mentioned you mentioned a few things you've mentioned um you know the first thing of well um you've mentioned using nlp on on 10k's 10q's things like that um, are there any other examples that you'd like to 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 point out of the types of the types of data that you create Another data, uh, that data set is based on uh, NLP application to earnings calls. So we, we, we divide the, the calling section. We look at several language metrics uh, about the, the management discussion, uh, about the, also the sentiment of the analyst question. 
if there is like a percentage higher than uh, of litigious language in the uh, in the analyst question which is larger than the previous call so uh, i'll say that in general we measure approximately 100 type of metrics uh, language metrics and, and this type of data set so we're going from a structured text the earnings call to a structure excel table if you want to see like this where you see for for each line you have a company and for each column you have a metric for every day it's very useful uh if you want to build a quant strategy because you can combine the metrics you using your hypothesis or you can just plug this into your machine learning predictor trying to predict the returns of the stocks and let, let me give you another in other cases i have we um, imagine we measure a lot of things on earning calls as francesco was saying okay and we measure a large number of metrics for we call metrics like things that you can measure how how complex the language is how how negative it is how positive it is what's the sentiment how litigious how constraining it is based on various techniques and what and that area we call it natural language processing techniques i mean we are using those uh, um, standard or non-standard techniques and then we have a data set which is comprised of, which comprises several uh, features a lot of informations on these documents then we we um, can give this to the client but also what we do is we build an internal model which combines these features to see if on a certain time horizon they can give some prediction they can help uh, i mean they can sort out the best stocks based on uh, what's their earning calls been like uh, or not okay so we have an internal model which works on those features and tries to make its prediction and then we can validate how good that model would do the good thing about this model not only it, cons it, it consists of a data set on its own but it helps us uh, also uh, get out of a, uh, some uh, I would call impasses because when you have like 50 features 50 data uh, information that you measure on something and then you say okay if you look at this uh, data uh, specifically it's got it's got some predictive power but that's then uh, you, you can always say okay but you've chosen the data that i mean you tried 50 and you chose out of 50 the one that worked but how much that could be uh, could that be like for chance because you've been looking at many features okay many data at the same time so it's as i said validation is very tricky in finance but uh, building a model which works on a, in a way that it learns from the past and then uh, and then apl apply on the future in a rolling basis i'm getting a little bit technical but just to, to, no, no, no. to convey right. the idea it gives you the idea that uh, i'm not doing any choice there is no bias for me choosing the feature that has been had worked after i've seen the whole time history but i let the model like learn for the first five years for example and then apply what it learned on the sixth year and then again uh, which is a very common technique but i'm just showing that some of our models also help us uh, validate how good our data set in principle is and avoid falling into some uh, pitfalls that could be uh, dangerous if you were, were going to sell you know that feature is working it's predictive or not and uh, as a company i would say we try to be very cautious in our claims and very rigorous and that's something that i would like to characterize us because uh, Finance is a world where there is a lot of uh, noise and small signals. 
So it's, uh, it's, but we're trying to do the things in a rigorous way so that, um, I mean, if we, we can add value with, with it's, uh, it's there. Fantastic. So what lies ahead for you both? You've been doing this for, for a few years now. You've, you've clearly established your, you've got a good, uh, good working setup. And um, what's the, do you have um, ambitions to expand beyond your current confines in, in any way? Have you, have you got, um, have you, or, or are you, is it working? You're happy doing what you're doing and, um, and, and, and long, long may it last. I can say that uh, one plan for the future uh, that uh, connects to, to your first question, Mark, is to specialize more in uh, European sources. For example, we notice that compared to US, clearly there is a, in Europe there is a lack of uh, standardization among countries, for example, who are concerned of company filings. So we are working a lot, for example, in, extra in extracting a structured data set on European company filings. So in my point of view, uh, in the future, we are working more and more also with, uh, with European sources in order to, to create a very, even more specialized data set for, for Europe. Uh, that is, it's an NLP challenge just in terms of languages. Um, will it be what what challenges do you what other unique challenges does Europe have? Does it have jurisdictional challenges for you and and different you'll be working with different markets as well and and so rather than a, a one big US market or um, then you've got you know the Spanish stock exchange, the French stock exchange, the German is that um, so it's it's going to be um, logistical uh, logistically difficult as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there are different websites where these documents are. Um, I mean, typically, we also partner with companies that support us in uh, the, the aggregation, in the tagging, in the parsing of the documents. We, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. So that there are, we have very good partners that, uh, uh, that we work with that uh, take care of uh, part of the integration work, uh, the standardization work. So such that we can focus more on the algorithmic part, but yes, that's uh, definitely well, one big challenge. The the the, the collection, even the collection of the data from different websites and sources in Europe. Can you can you see the um, clientele changing as well? Is there is there an air? Is are there clients out there who you who you think would be interested in your in your uh, work if only they knew about it or if only they had considered the possibilities? Yes, I think that one of the challenges, I mean, first, certainly we are going to develop more and more data sets. Um, I think one of the challenges is uh, uh, in the validation part, as I said before. So helping clients to understand if there is a value and how to... Uh, assess if a claim is correct or not. So helping clients understand if they, that they really want that data that, that data set and that they could, that could easily use it makes opens up a bigger market in principle. And it's also, I, I, on my point of view, more interesting if I can, uh, can create custom algorithms or custom solutions. Um, so that is the, the, where I would like to push the line from being only uh, raw data sets for uh, clients that already know what they want to do to some market where we can apply a rigorous way to uh, help clients uh, um, 
use our data sets and uh, this potentially is uh, also interesting from a market point of view well guys you didn't like the analogy but um i do see you as as the uh and as the inheritors of, uh, of that old italian artisan um artisan uh, <laughs> model i do think you're i do think you're artisans in your field so um i'm afraid i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with my stick with my idea but um <laughs> by the way <laughs> it's not it's not that we didn't like it we thought very we, we thought it was a very high analogy so thank you <laughs> um brilliant well matteo francesco thank you so much for for coming today and talking about brain and um and best of luck as as the company continues to grow thank, thank you, you very, very much, much mark, mark. Okay. Was it, was it-